Grace, you may have a seat. We're going to dive into God's word in just a minute. Before we do, since um, we, this is a morning where we can feel like our worship got cut short, right? <laughs> That's when we think of worship as just song, but it's not. Worship is every moment we live our lives. One of the things we don't recognize often here, I, I, there's a lot of appreciation sometimes that we don't mention giving a lot of grace, right? <laughs> um, so I'm going to mention it, <laughs> just because it's worship. Just because our worship isn't cut short when we close our mouths, but we worship him with all of our lives. And so I, I just want to take a minute, as we dive into God's word this morning, I'm going to pray uh, one more time before we open God's word and dive into Genesis again, but I also want to take a moment and just lift up our worship through giving. Since we don't, you know, ever since COVID, we don't pass the baskets or anything and don't, haven't made a lot of moments like this. But so many of you, so many of us give week after week or month after month to the work of God at grace and in his kingdom overall in this world. And a lot of times, I don't know about you, it's, it mine's, mine's sometimes on automatic withdrawal and we don't recognize it all the time, right? We want to take a minute and, and not make it automatic, all right? Sometimes our worship, we can just offer up words and sing, and it's automatic, and we open our mouths, and we don't put our intention behind it and make it worship. And so, so I just want to lift uh, all of our giving to him at whatever level you give to grace or anywhere else in his kingdom. That is worship. Amen? Amen. So let's bow one more time. Lord God, we offer up ourselves to you, these moments to you, we offer up the gifts that you have given us. God, we thank you so much for your providence. We take it for granted so many times. A morning like this, we, we hear about somebody else having a fire and losing so many of their possessions. God, this morning, we don't take it for granted. Thank you for your providence for us. And, and we take, uh, God, I just lift up any of our gifts that we've given over this past week or month or this morning, God, whether we're putting it in a box in the back, whether it's being taken out of our accounts just through our willingness, whether we're given to other areas of your kingdom throughout this region or the world, God, we lift all of this as worship to you. You have given us so much and you don't owe us any of it. We don't deserve any of it. So God, as an act of trust, as an act of worship, we, we offer these gifts back to you. We say, have your way in this world. May your kingdom come more fully because of these gifts. Use these treasures. Take them back and use them for your glory. And we know, we're confident we'll use, that you will use them to grow your kingdom in ways that are for the good of your people for the good of those who don't even know you yet, to meet needs and to make your name famous throughout this region and the world. So take these meager gifts and use them for your glory. And as we give, Lord, free us just a little bit more from reliance on anything but you. And Lord, we... Um, we come this morning and we just offer these moments as we dive into Genesis again and into your word. We can read your words and we can take your words for granted and think we've got it figured out and think we've 
heard what we need to hear and just walk off. Lord, we we don't want to just take your word for granted. We want to be transformed. So may your word do a work in us this morning. God, open our hearts and our ears to what you would speak to us today. And God, I thank you that this is all your story. We've said it again and again and again. This is your story, God, that you're writing. You wrote it on Abraham's life, and you haven't stopped writing. You're writing it on our lives, too. So, God, allow us to listen. Allow us to surrender control once again to you. Let us hear clearly your will for our lives today, that we might be changed. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. So if you uh, have your Bibles or your devices and want to follow along, you can open to Genesis chapter 20 this morning. Genesis chapter 20 has the uncreative title of Abraham and Abimelech in my Bible, but we'll, we'll try to get a little bit more creative and useful title in just a minute. For now, we're going to read through the entire chapter, starting at... Uh, Chapter 20, verse 1, it says this, Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. And then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought on us such great guilt upon me and upon my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves, so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. 
May God bless the reading of his word. So, the title in my Bible as I read this, like I said, is Abraham and Abimelech. They didn't have to think too hard to make that the title of the passage. And just keep in mind the titles there, and that's not actually the written word of God. Those are just titles that the the translators and the publishers put there to help us uh, identify these sections of Scripture. But don't take those titles at face value because there's more under the surface. We could just read this and say, yeah, it's about this interaction between Abraham and Abimelech. There's some irony going on here, and there's some comparisons we can make between these two men that are enlightening. We'll do that in a minute. But there's far more going on here than just the interaction between the two men. Um, If I were to title this section of Scripture, just at first glance, I might say, well, Abraham screwed up again. That's what it should say in my Bible, right? Because if you've been paying attention, we've heard something like this before. Chapter 20, it starts out, it says this, Now Abraham moved on from there into a new region, And for a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. And everybody should say, "Uh uh-oh, not again. Because this happened before. Abraham moved to a new area. Back in chapter 12, after God first called Abraham, there was a famine in the land, and Abraham, so Abraham moved to Egypt. Abraham and Sarah went there, and this is what they did. They lied and said, Sarah is my sister. Sarah's Abraham's sister. And the exact same thing happened. The Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, took Sarah into his harem. So kings back then, they would have a harem. And they, they would gather all, uh, all the beautiful women. If, if there was a beautiful woman in the land and she was single, she a lot of times would be sent for by the king and taken into his harem. And this is what just what worldly kings did back then. And, and they also did this to make, build relationships with leaders in the land. And so Abraham was powerful. At this time now that we're seeing him, he was rich and powerful and had possessions and is known among the people of the land. And so maybe Abimelech does this also because he wants to build relationship with Abraham. And the first time this happened for Abraham, it did not work out well at all. God afflicted the people of Egypt with disease. And Pharaoh brings Abraham in and says, what have you done? Why have you lied about this? And Pharaoh says, get out of here. And, and the Lord heals the people of Egypt, and Abraham and Sarah leave. So you think after it not working out once that Abraham wouldn't do it again, and yet here he is, and he does it again. So Abraham screwed up again. Man, why does the guy go? Like, didn't he learn his lesson the first time? What about us? Do we learn our lesson the first time? <laughs> like, has anybody ever had a day like Abraham? Man, I screwed up again. Abraham, you screwed up again. And yet, how many times could I look in the mirror and say that? I screwed up again. And yet, that's not the half of it. When, when we have these patterns, like, I, I, we, don't like, we don't have a lot of creativity in our sins, do we? We don't, get a lot, we don't get very creative in our temptations. A lot of time our hang-ups, whatever your hang-ups are, whether it's food or money or lust or, or whatever your hang-ups tend to be, you tend to go back to the same hang-ups, I'll bet. Because I know me and I tend to go back to the same hang-ups. And that's how we de- develop habits. That's how we develop addictions because we, we get in the habit of being drawn away from Jesus by the same thing again and again and again. I've said before, I, I, I used to be addicted to lust. I used to have a pornography addiction. Again and again and again, I would go back to the same empty well. I would rebel against the living God. 
And I thought I could get my needs met in an empty well. And God could say to me, you screwed up again. What are you doing? You've got to straighten this out once and for all. And how many times have we been in those places in our lives where we look in the mirror and we say, look at you, you screwed up again. All right, this time I'm going to get it right. I screwed up last week. I screwed up this week. This time I'm going to get it right. Do you know that's not the half of it for Abraham though right now? So, so this is the second time he's done this, right? The first time was all the way back in chapter 12, just a few chapters ago, a few pages back. Except that was when it, God first called him. When he was 75 years old. Do you know how old Abraham is right now? He is 100 years old. This is 25 years later. And he's still falling into the same ditch. I don't know what your temptation is right now. I don't know what ditch you're falling into. But how many want to sign up to be in the same ditch 25 years from now? Anybody? And yet, how, how often does that happen for us? How often does that happen when we think, well, I, I just, I, I keep falling into the same sin. I keep falling into the same temptation, the same ditch. Yeah, but I know, I know eventually I'm going to get out of it. I'm going to just grow out of this, right? Don't we think about that about over his sin? When I just get old enough, I'll be, I'll be more mature. And that's, that's going to fix all my problems. Don't we think about the guys, maybe ladies too, if you struggle with lust, don't we think about that with lust? Like when I was a teenager and I struggled with lust, I thought, well, the good news is I'm eventually going to grow out of this, Right? Like, hormones are going crazy right now. That's what I learned in health class, so that's why it's so tough as a teenager. When I'm in my 20s, this lust battle is going to be a whole lot easier. Then you get to your 20s, and it's not easier. Then you get to your 20s, and you say, well, at least when I get married, I will not struggle with lust at all. Can any of my married folks say, that ain't true. That doesn't fix us. Thank you, somebody said. <laughs> yeah, see, See, we don't just naturally mature out of our sin. We don't just say, well, let me sit back for now. God will eventually fix me. I'll just eventually grow out of this grub. That's not the way it works. God has to do a work, yes. And it's a work that we can't do ourselves. And yet if we are not intentional about stepping out of that ditch, just stepping away from the ditch by the grace of God within us, if we are not intentional about that, though, 25 years from now, you could be falling in the same ditch. I don't want to sign up for that, do you? Lord, save me from that. We can look at Abraham here and say, well, at least it was only twice, right? That we know of. That we know of. A little later in the chapter, we just read it, like when he begins to voice his excuses to Abimelech, he says, here's what I was thinking, and, and here's what happened. Ever since God called me away from my father's house, I said to Sarah, listen, here's how you can show me love. Everywhere we go, Say that you're my sister. What, what did Abraham say? He, he didn't say to Sarah, hey, Sarah, when we go to Egypt, say that you're my sister. Hey, Sarah, that one day, 25 years from now, when we end up in Gerar, say that you're my sister. He says, Sarah, everywhere we go, say that you're my sister. So I, I, I think, I think it doesn't say, but I think we can probably make a pretty good case everywhere we go that Abraham might have done this again and again and again and again for 25 years. And the only times we hear about it are the two times that it didn't work. How many times do we form sin habits because for a while, like we don't go to sin because it doesn't work, right? 
We don't run into sin. We don't run away from Jesus because it doesn't make us feel good. It does. That's why we run to, to, to lust or to food or, or to spending or anything else. We run to it because it fixes us for a little bit. It feels like it fixes us. It makes us feel better. If it didn't, we wouldn't run to it. And so it's possible that Abraham could have been using this again and again and again and again for 25 years because most of the time it worked. And here one more time, God shows up and says, listen, it doesn't work. Stop it. Some of us just, sometimes in my life, maybe some of us this morning just need to hear God say, stop it. It's not working. Get out of the ditch. So we might read this chapter and say, Abraham screwed up again. That's what it should be titled. Here's, here's, here's my title. Here's, I think, a more useful title for the chapter. It's a chapter where everybody has trust issues with God and God shows himself trustworthy anyway. That's what I, I hope we see this morning is that everybody has trust issues with God. Abraham, Abimelech, you, me, we've all got trust issues with God, but God shows himself trustworthy anyway. This isn't the message I wanted to preach. I had a whole other message planned. And you know what God showed me this week? You're not trusting me. Sure, God, I trust you. He said to me again, no, you don't trust me as much as you think you do. Can I, can I say, like, if somebody asked you, do you trust God? We'd say, yes, I trust God. I'm here in church after all. I, I've given my life to Jesus. Yes, I trust him. Trusting God is not a one question that we answer once back in our lives and we've got it figured out. You are answering that question right now with your thoughts and with your words and with your actions and with your intention. You're answering whether you trust God or not. So how are we going to answer? Thankfully, God shows up in this and says, in spite of the times that you don't trust me, I am still trustworthy. I don't trust God nearly as much as I think I do. That's what he's been showing me this week. I'm willing to bet you don't trust God nearly as much as you think you do. There's good news. His grace covers that. But he invites us to trust him more. Anybody want to trust him more this morning? Yeah. All right, so Abraham's sin here is a result of trust issues. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. But first we've got to talk about Abimelech. Verse 3, it says this, But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Interesting question. Will you destroy an innocent nation? This is the exact same question that two chapters ago Abraham asked God. God shows up to Abraham. If you were here a few weeks ago, Phil talked about how, how God showed up to Abraham. Three men came to him. One of them was God in some way in the flesh. might have been Jesus incarnate in the flesh, but, but the Lord appeared to Abraham and had conversations with him. And eventually that conversation last week, Phil led us through the, the place where that conversation turned to the, the Lord said, should I hide what I'm going to do about Sodom and Gomorrah? And, and he tells Abraham that he's going to destroy these cities. And Abraham says, listen, God, are, are you going to destroy the innocent too? And, and, and Abimelech has the same question here. 
And sometimes we read over these stories and we're so familiar with them that we, we forget the impact of what's happening. God shows up to Abraham and he says, you see those cities down there full of hundreds of people where your nephew is and other people, maybe, you, maybe you've gone to visit, maybe you've known them, hundreds, maybe thousands of people there. I am going to wipe it all out. And Abraham asks, but God, are you good? Like, can I trust you? Are you going to destroy the innocent too? Is that the right thing to do? God, are you just? This is what Abraham's asking. That was what Abraham was asking. And now God has followed up and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And now everybody's asking that question about God. Because listen, Sodom and Gomorrah, fire rained down from heaven. This, like, they couldn't excuse this as a natural, natural disaster. They couldn't look at, oh, man, there was a really bad storm. A hurricane came through or a tornado. Like, no, this was sulfur raining down. There were no volcanoes in the vicinity. Sulfur rained down from heaven. This was an act of God. And so everybody now is asking the question that Abraham was asking. God, can we trust you? God, are you good? God, is this just? Like, where do our doubt where do we have trouble trusting God? Here, here's something we've got to realize. Our trust in God is directly impacted by events and circumstances of yesterday. Like we read the Bible right now. We can come to Genesis 20 and we can read it as like a separate episode. Because there was a chapter break and we forget what happened before and then read about Abraham and Abimelech. And we forget, like they're impacted by what just happened. Because the Bible is not episodic. Those chapter breaks were added later. The Bible is one continuous story. And what happened yesterday for these folks impacts them today. The same is true for us. So do you know why you keep running to something that you shouldn't be running to? Do you know why sometimes you're doubting God? One of the reasons we doubt God, one of the reasons we have trust issues with God is because, what happened, because of what happened yesterday, what happened in the past in our lives. There's questions that go unanswered. There's wonderings we have. There's doubts and fears we have. God, why did you do that? Are you just? Is that good? What are you doing? Here's the thing. A lot of times we don't deal with them. A lot of times we prefer to look at our life like episodes. I'm struggling with this right now. I don't know why I'm struggling trusting God right now. You're struggling trusting God perhaps because you have questions about your past. Because there's wounds in your past. Because there's hurts in your past. Because there's confusion in your past. Maybe because you show up today and you hear about a house fire, right? God, like, are you, are you good? Was this right? Why did you allow this, right? We were supposed to have a, a, a young couple up here on stage, Michael and Susan, leading us in worship. Of course God would want that. And then the house burns. God, are you just? Is this right? Can I trust you? And we prefer not to face these questions. But can I tell you something this morning? God is big enough to handle our questions. See, we hear these questions and we get afraid of these questions, don't we? Do you get afraid of the questions? I get afraid of the questions. I, I encourage my kids to read their Bibles, right, in the, in the morning. They're little devotionals. And so Asher will get up some mornings and he'll, like, come down, down the steps. And sometimes I'm sitting on the couch, maybe reading my Bible. And he's, he comes down, you know, the other morning I said, don't, why don't you read your Bible, buddy? He'll just sit there for a little while and think or whatever. Why don't you read your Bible? And he picked up his Bible and he, little devotional, he read his devotional, read his Bible. And after a few minutes, he turns to me and says, Dad, why did God send Moses and go tell him to 
free the people and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And then it says on the way that God sought to kill him. And then Abraham's wife had to circumcise their son and take the foreskin and touch Abraham's feet. And then the Lord didn't kill him. Why did it say that? I said, Asher, what did you read in your devotional this morning? Like, like go, go back to something easier, right? <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't read your Bible. <laughs> but it's, it's in there, Exodus 4, uh, I think it's chapter 4. You guys go figure that one out for yourself. We don't have time to deal with that one this morning. <laughs> but we hear these things and we're afraid of them, and so we don't turn to these sections of Scripture, right? That's what Phil said last week about Sodom and Gomorrah. We get scared of these passages of Scripture and we don't turn to them and we don't deal with them and these questions remain. And then our sons or other people in our lives have these questions or unbelievers have these questions. Why did God allow this? Why did God do this in my life or in Scripture? And because we haven't dealt with them in the past, because we haven't faced them in the past, we get scared. Even if we have faced them in the past, don't you forget the answer sometimes? Man, I, thought, I researched this a few years back and I thought I was settled on this and God, I'm still frightened I still don't understand why you ask it again. Because can I tell you something? Our God is big enough to stand up to the questions. The Bible does not avoid the tough questions. That's why these passages are tough. Because one of the reasons is because our God can stand up to the tough questions. His character can stand up to the tough questions. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to protect God from the tough questions. He can answer them. And the answers aren't always easy. And they're not, not always instantaneous. And all the mystery isn't taken care of because our God's ways and thoughts are far higher than ours are. But it doesn't mean we don't ask the questions. So listen, if there's, if there's an area in your life where you're struggling to trust God in this area, I, I would encourage you to look back in your life and say, is there a wound? Is there a place in the past? Is there a question where I've, I've struggled with this before and I had this question and I just shoved it down and I, and I covered it up with cliches like God's good and he'll cover it and he'll work all things together for good and I didn't actually face the question of God, what are you doing here? And wrestling through this. I'm reading this book right now. It's called Draw Close to the Fire. And you know what he says about the dark times that we go through, the hardships that we go through, the, the times where we wonder, we just want to escape out of our trials and out of those seasons where we wonder what God is doing. We just want escape, right? God, just fix this and get me out. He says it's in those dark times that we learn to trust God. And if we don't go through those dark times, we don't learn to trust him in that way. This is the way he draws us close to the fire of his presence. It's in the darkness. So as, as believers, as those who showed up this morning, and a few minutes ago, we answered yes to that question. Do you want to trust God more? We've got to lean into the darkness, into the uncertainty of our lives, and not try to run from it and distract ourselves from it and cover it up with food or entertainment or lust or just escape or just cliches. We've got to lean into that darkness because God is the rock who can hold us in that darkness. That's where he shows himself steady. In the storms of life, he shows himself a rock. So we've got to lean into that. I don't even know where I was. Sodom and Gomorrah. And God comes to Abimelech 
And Abimelech is free to ask the tough question. God, are you going to destroy the innocent? Are you fair? Are you just? Can I trust you? Because my hands are clean. And God is is in effect going to say, yes, I'm not going to outright destroy the innocent. Yes, you can trust me. But here's the thing, Abimelech. You know how your hands are clean? That's not because you're a great guy. It's not because you're some paragon of virtue. It's not because you are this model of self-control and self-restraint. It's not because you're so good. No, no, here's why your hands are clean. You want to know? Here's what God says. God says, then God said to him in a dream, yes, I, I know you did this with a clear conscience, Abimelech, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That's why I didn't let you touch her. Abimelech, do you know why you didn't sin? I'm the only thing that was standing between you and your dirty hands. You think, you think, you think you've got a leg to stand on? You, you think you've got it figured out, that you're good, that, that, that you've stayed pure because you're, you're so much better than ever? No, you, you've stayed pure because I saved you from your own ignorance. Listen, folks, has God saved you from your own ignorance ever? I mean, he has me. Uh, Sometimes don't we look in our lives and we say, God, I I don't know what you're doing here. I don't know why you're not coming through. Look at everything you haven't done in my life. Look at everything that you aren't fixing. And we forget to look at everything he has done in our lives. All the ways he has showed up again and again and again and again. Maybe you're going through a season where you are suffering intense consequences because of the sin that you have committed in your past. Because of ways that you are unfaithful to God. Ways that you put something else on the throne of your soul instead of Jesus and you made horrible choices and now you're suffering maybe years of consequences. And you say, that's great. He says to Abimelech, I saved you from yourself. God, why didn't you save me from myself? Why didn't you spare me all these consequences? Well, Can I tell you something? You're forgetting all the times he has. Some of them you know, I'm betting, and some of them you don't. But can you look back in your life and say, God, I am so grateful for the times you protected me from myself. Well, man, I I was just drawn to darkness. I was drawn to sin. I didn't even know it at the time. I didn't even know those things. But you stepped in and you protected me from myself. I used to have road rage issues. Back in my 20s, I had road rage issues. And I can, I can remember this time driving on the highway. There was this jerk. I mean, he, he, I can't even tell you. It would take like this whole ride, middle of the night, nobody else is on the road but this guy. And he thinks I'm in his way. I, I'll show you in, in your way, pal. I'll show you how I can get in your way. You think a guy was in your way before. How about this? And I I just have this one vivid memory of driving down the highway at 120 miles an hour in a Pontiac Grand Am. Those things aren't supposed to go that fast. (laughs) That was wrong, and I should have wrecked, and I should have been dead because I wasn't that good of a driver. And yet God protected me from myself. Even in my ignorance... In my arrogance, in my rage, in my selfishness, God stepped in and protected me from myself. There are folks like, I grew up a good Christian kid, nice guy. 
wanted to be a nice Christian guy. And that's what I strove to be my whole life. Went to college, got involved in theater, and got to use theater in my life and story and all of that stuff. And then I got out, out of college and worked in theater. There are a lot of messy people in theater. There are a lot of really broken people in theater. Can I tell you what? I figured out I was one of them. I messed up a lot. I ran to some of that darkness too. But can I tell you how many times God protected me from running for far, far worse? I, I, I should be dead. I should have had babies out of wedlock. I should have I, so many things that God protected me from myself. And so for any way that you're feeling consequences, God, why are you pouring this? Why are you being so hard on me right now in this season? You, you let Abimelech off the hook. Why didn't you let me out? Why didn't you protect me? He has protected you from yourself. Look for the ways he has. Time and time and time again. He's protected you from your own sin. He's protected you from your own ignorance. And then there's times, like here, like here there's, there's ways he doesn't protect Abraham all the way. He protects Abraham some from his own sin, but not all the way. He lets, he, he lets us face it sometimes, too, so that he can call us to something more, call us to trust him more, call us to the intention that he has for us and the purpose that he has for us so that we can grow, so that 25 years from now, we're not struggling with the same issue of trust that we are in it right now. We'll see that as we go. But here's the other thing I want you to see. Like, God protects Abraham in this. And Abraham lies right to the guy's face. You know what's different this time, though, than when it was 25? Not just that he's 25 years older. The stakes are a lot higher. Because guess what? The, the last time that God talked to Abraham, you know what he said? He said, a year from now, I'm going I'm I'm to come back, and Sarah's going Sarah's to deliver a baby. One year from now, you're going to have a, a, a baby. And this is somewhere within that year. Sarah could already be pregnant. Or if not, she's really, really close to pregnant. And right here, Abraham lies. And do you know how high the stakes are? For, here's what's going to happen as a result of Abraham's lie. Abimelech is going to sleep with Sarah. It's not what happens, but this is, what, this is the inevitable conclusion of, like, follow my train of thought. This is, this is what's going to happen. Abimelech, unless something steps in, unless something happens, Abimelech's going to sleep with Sarah. And forever, forever, Sarah's going to wonder who, who's the father of this baby. Forever, Isaac is going to be plagued. Who, who's my real father? Forever, the people of Israel, generation after generation after generation, when they praise and worship the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they're going to wonder, like, was is that, how the, is that how the line really went? Was it Abraham and then Isaac? Forever they're going to wonder, like, this was the, ch the promised child. Was it really a miracle child? Or was there just a problem with Abraham's seed and Abimelech stepped in and he's the father? This is what is going to happen. But look at the first two words on the screen right now. This is what's going to happen. But God... But God stepped in. But God sent a, spoke through a dream. But God spoke to Abimelech. But God protected Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and generations from the consequence of Abraham's arrogance and lie and distrust in God. Can you praise God for a God who protects us from ourselves this morning? So yes, God is... God is just, 
He's not going to destroy the innocent. But, but God is also merciful. He protects us from ourselves. Verse, uh, verse 7. God continues to Abimelech and he says this, now return the man's wife. <laughs> he says, okay, your hands are clean so far. It's only my grace that kept him clean, but, but now you know, give her back. And if you don't, you're a dead man. Because if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. See, in God's mercy, he doesn't get any less serious about sin, right? God's merciful. He forgives us. Praise God. Jesus went to the cross and died for every sin, for every guilt, for all our shame. Yes, but it doesn't mean God is any less serious about your sin right now. Yes, it's covered. if you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have declared him Lord and Savior of your life, you do not have to suffer the internal consequences of your sin. He took the wrath of God upon himself, and yet... God still wants it scrubbed clean out of your life. God still does not want you to wrestle with this for the next 25 years. Are you as serious about this as he is? Are you as serious about keeping your hands clean as he is about getting your hands clean? We need to get serious about our own sin. We need to look at these ways that we're not trusting God in our lives and get serious about leaning into them. And so, uh, early the next morning, <laughs> I love that. So, Abimelech's asleep. God shows up in a dream. And this, here's the dream. You ever wake up in the morning like, hey, did you have any dreams last night? Or your kids or your spouse, right? you have any dreams? Abimelech shows up. Somebody turns to him, you have any dreams? Yeah, God showed up and he said, I'm dead. I, I would think it'd be pretty early in the morning that Abimelech got up. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials and he told them about what happened and they were very much afraid. And then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done these things to me, that which should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what is your reason for doing this? Do you get the irony here? The, the pagan god, the pagan king, the pagan guy is, is the one who hears God speak in this passage. The man of God doesn't hear him speak. The, the, the king, who, who isn't a follower of the one true God so far as we know, he's the one who's correcting the man of God. The pagan's correcting the prophet and bringing conviction. And Abraham, we're going to see, is... He's going to make excuses. He's going to justify himself. He's going to minimize his wrongdoing. He's going to misrepresent God's work in his life. He's going to do everything but look at himself and own what he did. And what about us? Like, like are we humble enough when we're confronted with our wrongdoing, are we humble enough to actually examine it and own it and say, yeah, you know what, I've got something to own here. No matter where that correction is coming from. Listen, no matter where the correction is coming from, do you see what God's doing? He, God is speaking through a worldly king right now to correct his chosen man. Abraham isn't humble enough to listen to this instant. I, I, I would venture to say that, that at times we aren't either. At times we'll see things, in the, at times we'll see people in the world sometimes act better than we see Christians do, don't we? 
At times we'll see people in the world, and in this divisive culture, do you ever see a social media post from somebody and you're like, wow, that is really just a, that's a really a word of peace into this, this divisive issue, right? And then you look at who sent it and you're like, that, that guy isn't even a believer, I don't think. Maybe, it, but, and, and, and then meanwhile, I see all these believers pouring junk out on social media that, that don't reflect the character of Christ at all. And how many times it, we can point fingers and say, yeah, glad, thing, glad I don't do that, but, but when have you? When have I made choices that even somebody who wasn't a believer would have looked at and said, you've done things that shouldn't be done. That just shouldn't be. You don't have to be a believer to know what's right and wrong. God puts his law on our hearts and there's just this, this just natural conscience that all, all people have at times, that there's a conviction of knowing right and wrong at times, even for those who don't know God. And sometimes we as believers can just justify ourselves and say, well, I'm in a relationship with God, so anything goes. God will cover it. Yeah, but it doesn't mean you should have done it. God, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be people of light. We're supposed to bring the aroma of Christ into every interaction. We're supposed to bring a gospel of Christ with us. So don't excuse ourselves. Like, can we look in the mirror and say, I got to look at me first? No matter who the message comes from. Because isn't that the first thing you do? When somebody, when, when some word of conviction, you start to feel guilty about something. Oh, maybe I shouldn't. Have oh, but look who's talking, right? I, lo I love this quote. I probably said this before, but there was, there was this professor, this true story professor was talking about the, uh, the story of Balaam and his donkey, right? And if you don't know the story, it's in the, it's in Deuteronomy, I think. It's in, it's, uh, it's in the Pentateuch. It's in the first five books. Um, I think it's in Deuteronomy. Um, and Balaam has been hired as a prophet to go curse, um, curse the people of Israel. And, and God, in a whole lots of ways, stops it. It's a, it's a really great story. But one of the ways he stops it is, is Balaam wants to go off his own direction. And God sends this angel with a flaming sword in his path so that he won't go. And he's riding his donkey, but Balaam can't see the angel. And if he rides forward, the angel's going to just like swing away with the sword. And so the, ba the, 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 donkey, the donkey, God allows to see the angel. And so the donkey swerves off the path. Balaam says, what are you doing? He beats the donkey. Get on the path. He keeps going. The angel appears again. He, the donkey veers off the path, runs Balaam into a wall. Balaam beats his donkey. Does it again. The angel appears. And finally, God opens the donkey's mouth to Balaam and says, what are you doing? I've saved you three times. Stop beating me. And, and, and there was a professor who was talking about this to his class, and here's what he said. He, he didn't use the word donkey. I'm going to use the word donkey because we're in church. <laughs> but the professor said, Balaam spoke, uh, God spoke to Balaam through his donkey. And he's been speaking through donkeys ever since. And then the professor went on to say, so if upon meeting someone, you recognize them for exactly what they are. Don't immediately discount what they say because God spoke to Balaam through his donkey and God's been speaking through donkeys ever since. Do we allow God to convict us? Do we listen to conviction no matter what the source? Instead of look who's talking, do we do that? Far too many times I think we tend to justify ourselves. Put ourselves on a higher pedestal than we actually are. 
So that's, that's why the professor didn't stop at that, <laughs> that moment. He also said, if, if God, so if God should, in his grace, choose to speak through you, do not think too highly of yourself. Because God spoke to Balaam through his donkey, and he's been speaking through donkeys ever since. Folks, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. God in his grace will speak conviction into our lives, into areas of sin and areas where we don't trust him. And we all too quickly say, yeah, I trust God. Oh, but what about this? And God in his love and his grace will use any means necessary to poke at that area of our lives again and again and again. And you're like, God, stop poking at this area. Sure, I trust you, but God says, oh, yeah, what about your money? It says in God we trust on that money. Are you using that money in a way that reflects trust? How about, how about you? How about me? That's where the questions get uncomfortable. That's one that we can get real uncomfortable real quick, right? Because there, there's no law about what we give, right? So how do I know I'm trusting God with my money? Well, one benchmark, it's not a law, but one benchmark in Scripture we can see is tithing. A, a, a tenth to set a tenth of my money before the, Have you ever done the math on your resources? Maybe you haven't done, I would encourage you to go home and do the math. I don't care what you're given right now. I mean, I do. God, but go home and do the math right now and see what is a tenth. Ouch. Why, why, why is that a benchmark? Now, it's not a law. I'm not pr- trying to bring shame. If, you don't, if you're not given a tenth, if you're given 2%, if you're given 1%, if you're given 10 bucks, if that's what you can afford, praise God for that. And I'm not talking about giving to grace. I'm talking about giving to God's kingdom. Here and everywhere else, like, if, if you're, tr- but, but here's, here's the thing. So, so you say, okay, 10% is not, not a law. What, I, what should I give? You should give until you feel it. I don't want to say should, right? It's not, but, but like, how do I know if I'm giving, how do I know if I'm trusting God with my money? So that, here's how you know you're trusting God with your money. What you give, it hurts. We get too comfortable sometimes, especially with auto withdrawal, Right? <laughs> Auto withdrawal, it just goes out every month and we've got our budget figured out and everything and it doesn't, like, I don't even notice it missing because I've worked it in my budget now. Every once in a while, what you're given, you should look at your budget and say, oh man, I, do you know what I could do with that? I've got this car that needs fixed. I need this. Do you see how gas prices are? I don't know how gas prices are going to work in the budget. You know, where, where could I find the money to pay for all this gas that I'm now using that I didn't account for in my budget? With There's this one category. I would challenge you. <laughs> yes, be wise with your stewarding. And yes, there may be seasons where you, you, you can't give 10% and that's wise and that's good stewardship. But listen, are you giving till it hurts? That's how you know you're trusting God. What about your time? Do you trust God with your time? Yes. <laughs> really? I, you trusted God enough to show up this morning, you're trusting him with this time right now. You know, this is the longest period of any of our weeks where we'll sit and listen to something, someone uninterrupted. No commercials. Like, uh, there is, like, like for a, an hour or, or so, uninterrupted. Some of you aren't, don't stick with me the whole time. That's okay. Like, I know. I, I can tell, but I know. Because we're not practiced at this. Right? No other area in our lives will we go undistracted for this long and have to focus and have to give this time. So praise God. You are trusting God right now in this moment. I don't know what you're doing in your head. You might be planning for your day in the head. In your head. You might be planning for your week. 
You might be tuning this guy out. That's, that's between you and God. But right now you showed up physically. You're trusting God with this moment and this time. What, what, what about this afternoon? What, what about later this week? Are you trusting God with your time? All too quickly we pack our, we say, I don't have time. I'd love to draw, I'd love to read scripture more. I'd love to pray more. I'd love to do this more. Yes, but I don't have time. I'm too busy. And yet we pack our schedules. We make sure our kids have three sports to go into and music lessons and we, get, we have time enough for two or three hobbies and we have, we have time for all of that. Are you trusting God with your time? Some of, some of you that, that, like, some of you are a bit, you're, you're working two jobs, you're trying to make ends meet, you say, I don't have time for hobbies, that's not me. Okay, that's not you. But many of us, I would venture to say, need to look at our schedules and say, am I trusting God with my time? How do I know I'm trusting God with my time? Given this minute, oh, it hurts. Given this hour, oh, there's so much more I could be doing with this. There's so much, so much other things I could get done. I could knock off the list. And God says, no, come away with me. Come spend, spend time with me. Are we giving of our time? Do you trust him? Do you just trust him with your food? How do I know if I'm trusting him with my food? Give, give up a meal once in a while. You know, there's this verse in Job. Job says, I have loved your words, God, more than my necessary food. <laughs> Do we trust God that much that we love him more than our necessary food? Skip lunch sometime this week. Read your Bible instead. Oh, all of a sudden, I'm trusting God just a little bit more. And it hurts. <laughs> and I feel that hunger. But I'm leaning in. And I'm trusting just a little bit more. So Abimelech's question to Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? And, and Abraham goes and he gives his reasons. Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place. Here's, here's what I was thinking. Here's why I did this. I, I looked around at this place and I said, surely there's no fear of God in this place and they'll kill me because of my wife. So he looked around and he was afraid of the, uh, of the people. Why would he possibly be afraid of the people? Do you know, last time we saw Abraham, he was standing on a mountainside in chapter 19 and he was looking at the smoldering remains of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he would pleaded for this city and said, God, you're not going to destroy it if there's just 10 righteous people, right? And God said, you're right. I won't destroy it if there's just 10 righteous people. And Abraham could have taken the countdown to four, Right? Lot and his wife and his two daughters. He, Abraham didn't go there, but he could have. And God would have, I, I think God would have said, yes, I won't destroy it for, for four righteous people. But then, but then Abraham's wife turned back. And then Lot offered up his daughters for gang rape and had a little wine issue. Go back and read that story again. Lot had issues with alcohol. And, and then his two daughters get their dad drunk, knowing his weakness is alcohol, they get their dad drunk and sleep with him. So it doesn't matter what the number went to, there was nobody righteous, not one. And Abraham's looking at the smoldering remains of that city. And now he comes here. Is it any wonder that he comes into this new place and he says, I bet there's no fear of God in this place. Like, because, because listen, don't we, 
when we encounter the wickedness of the world, there's two reactions we can have. One, when, when we see all the evil and the wickedness of the, in the world and how far it is from God's intention and design from it, and, and you watch the news lately and see the, see the darkness out there, one thing we can do is we can conform. That, that's what happened to Lot's wife. In, in this place where her heart was led away, and, and I think we can conform and, and Lot's family that they were in this place of wickedness and evil, and, and at some point, they just conformed it and, and it just became normal. This atrocious wickedness and evil just became normal and every day and almost something you long for so much so that even if fire is raining down from heaven, I'm going to look back just because, man, my heart longs for what's there. And there's ways when we encounter the wickedness of the world and the way it is set against the will of God that we can just conform and we can say, well, maybe it's not that bad. I mean, everybody else says it's normal. It must be okay. We can conform or, or we can turn to judgment and fear. We can, we can say, do you know how bad it is out there? Everywhere is bad out there. And I, Abraham comes into this place and he just assumes there's no fear of God here. He just assumes they're one step away from God pouring sulfur down on them too. This is just one more Sodom. And he's afraid. So what is he going to do? He's got to protect himself. He's, he's got to. It's the only way, he thinks. So we can, when we're faced with the wickedness of the world, we can either conform it or we can condemn it in fear and judgment but there's another option. There's compassion. Do you know Abraham wasn't supposed to walk in here like this? He wasn't supposed to walk in here in self-protection. He was supposed to walk in here in surrender. He was supposed to walk in here surrendering his will to God, in trust of God. God had said to him, do you know the blessing he gave over Abraham, the call he gave over Abraham's life wasn't just for Abraham? He said, you're going to be a blessing to all the other nations. This was Abraham's chance to be a blessing to another nation. And he blew it. He lied and he brought condemnation instead. And then he, he says this, besides she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not my mother, and she became my wife. It's not really a full lie. It's not that bad, is it? Yeah, it's that bad. Abraham, do you understand the stakes here? Your sin isn't going to just affect you. It's going to affect Sarah and Isaac and Abimelech and all his people. And generations after you, you can't justify your way out of this. It's not some little half sin. It's a full sin. And there's real consequences for this. And he says this, when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Why did Abraham feel the need to, to tell this lie to protect himself. Because it, I, I think because he didn't trust God to protect him in this instance. Like if he had walked in in trust, he wouldn't have had to lie. He would have been able to walk in as a blessing to these other nations. And yet he walked in in distrust of God. You know what he says here? And when God had me wander, here's my story of what God has done in my life. He had me wander. Wander doesn't sound like such a bad thing anymore, right? We got, we got those t-shirts now and the... But not all who wander are lost, right? So we like wandering. Go on a hike, get outdoors. Not all who wander are lost. That's not how Abraham is 
talking about this right now, though. The word he uses here for wander, it's used 50 times in the Old Testament. Every single time, it's negative. They use it to describe animals that have gone astray. They use it to describe uh, people who have been seduced by sin. False prophets that, that draw people away with their lies. A drunk man staggering. That's how this word is used throughout scripture. And, God, and Abraham says, God had me wander. This is the story of my life right now is God had me wandering. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know why he has me here. I'm wandering around like a drunk man. And so I've got to protect myself. Because I don't know where God's at in this. How many of us come to a place in our lives where we wonder where God's at in this? God, I don't know what you're doing. And I, and I doubt you're even good in this. I don't know how you can pull any good out of this. You have me wander. There's no point to this. I'm wandering around like a drunk man. And God would say, I know you can't see. Trust me anyway. You don't have to protect yourself. Look in the past at all the times I've protected you from yourself. You don't have to protect yourself. I will protect you. What about you? What in, in what areas of your life do you have trust issues? With money, with time, with relationships, with a sin pattern, where you're driven by fear in your choices instead of trust? Maybe it's unanswered prayer. I wonder if it was that for Abraham. He was standing on that mountain looking at Sodom and Gomorrah and said, I prayed, God, that you wouldn't destroy this, and you did. My worst fear came to pass. So can you hear me? Why didn't you answer this prayer the way I wanted? And, and that can lead us to a place of distrust in God. Maybe that's what one of the contributing factors for Abraham right here. And it leads him to this place of distrust where Abraham was called to walk into other nations to be a blessing, and he blew it. But God. But God. But that's not the end of the story. And look at what God does. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I'm giving your brother probably a little bit of sarcasm in that. You want to call him your brother? Sure, I'll play along. I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover any offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. And then God healed Abimelech. But... <laughs> But that's not what happened first. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves, so that they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. God had done this, and the way he's going to work his healing is not in spite of Abraham, not in spite of the liar. He's going to work through Abraham to do this. See, Abraham missed his chance to be a blessing, but God doesn't work in spite of him to be a blessing. God still works through him. Why? Why? Do you know what God calls Abraham all the way through this? God, God says to Abimelech, you know what? You're going to give his wife back 
because Abraham's a prophet. He didn't call him a liar. He didn't call him a sinner. He didn't call him this man filled with this broken man who can't trust me to save his life. A prophet. Because Abraham's failures don't change his identity. And Abraham's failures don't change the fact that God will still work through him. It doesn't mean that Abraham doesn't have some stuff to straighten up and straighten out, but it doesn't hamper God from working through him anyway. Because here's the thing. This, this chapter is talking about Abraham and Abimelech, right? And we can say, well, what's, what's the biggest difference you see between Abraham and Abimelech? Well, Abimelech, he's a man of honor. Abraham isn't in this story, right? Abimelech tells the truth. Abraham lies. Abimelech hears from God. Abraham, you know, I don't know if he's even got his ears open right now. Abimelech's righteous, and Abraham doesn't seem very righteous in this story, right? Do you know none of those are the biggest difference between Abraham and Abimelech? You know what is? God said to Abimelech, you are in sin right now, so listen, you're a dead man. You know the biggest difference between Abimelech and Abraham? The one that matters most is Abimelech is dead. He's got the consequences of his sin right in front of him and he's going to face him and there is nothing that's going to stop him. And Abraham, liar and disbeliever though he is, is in a grace-infused relationship with the living God. That's the biggest difference. You say, God, Why don't you confront Abraham because of his sin? He did. He uses Abimelech to confront him because of his sin. And he uses Abraham anyway. Because Abraham's his man. And Abraham's his man not because Abraham's good or awesome, but because God is. End of story. And so here's the thing to walk away with today. The biggest question for, for you and I today is not, are you righteous or are you not? So are you alive or are you dead? Are you alive or are you dead? Be- because like Abimelech, we can be people who, who come face to face with our sin and the consequences of staring in our fa- us in our face, and there is nothing that will stop those consequences from coming. We are dead. You know how God works? Here's the only thing that's going to keep you alive. Here's the only thing that's going to prevent you from being dead, Abimelech, is if the man I send intercedes for you, if he prays for you. And in the case of Abraham, he was imperfect. God used him anyway. God chose him. God invited him. You're going to be a blessing anyway. Even in your imperfection, you're going to bless this nation by praying over it. Praying over these people that confronted you on your sin. Praying over these people that you were afraid of so that I, my wrath, won't come against them. Listen, some of us might be in a place like Abimelech today where there is nothing between us and the consequences of our sin. You know what we need? We need somebody to stand up in between. For Abimelech, it was for Abraham. For us, it's Jesus Christ. God is still working the way he worked back then. And there is nothing that will keep you from the death that your sins deserve unless you call on that man, Jesus Christ, that God sent to be the Savior of the world. 
Oh, and he was so much better than Abraham. So much better. He walked this road perfectly in perfect surrender. Not an ounce of distrust in his father God. In perfect trust and submission to God. And he took the wrath of God upon himself for your sin and mine. So that now we can say, when we come face to face, when we look in the mirror and we say, man, I can't believe I did it again. But God sent Jesus Christ. If you're in a place of guilt or shame this morning, but God sent Christ. And the wrath and the death that your sins deserve are no longer on you if you are in him. So are you in him? And listen, like for the rest of like you say, yes, I'm in him. So, so, so for the rest of us, do, now, now do we trust him? If, if he took care of, the, if he sent an intermediator for us in this area of our lives, do you know you can trust him now with every area of your life? So what area are you not trusting God? Right now, that he brought to mind sometime during the last 45 minutes and said, I mean, you, I, I keep poking at this area. And maybe it's that sin that you keep falling into, you keep walking into, and you know you shouldn't, but praise God, the blood of Jesus covers it. Yes, the blood of Jesus covers it. And God is inviting you to trust him in this area to walk free. Maybe it's that prayer that just doesn't get answered. You just feel like when you're on the mountain and all you see is the smoking wreckage of what you thought your life could be. You say, God, why have you not shown up the way I wanted you to? And God says, trust me. I am here even in this. And I'm working on a bigger page than you could ever imagine. I'm working on a bigger story than you can imagine. And you can trust me. Abraham might have never found out whether Lot made it out or not. He might never have found out whether those prayers were answered. You know what Abraham found out? He found out real quick that his prayers still get answered. <laughs> He prayed for Abimelech, and like that, he's healed. God says, oh yeah, Abraham, you can trust me. I'm still listening. I'm still on the throne. You can trust me even in this. Where do you need to trust God today in the area of your life? So we're going to close with a song. I'm not going to sing it. We're going to close with another piece of video worship by a group called Shane and Shane. This was a song I came across. My sister sent it to me a few months back. Because I'm having trouble trusting God. And I don't know what he's doing. And I know I need to trust him more. And I know I'm wrestling with that. How do I trust you? In the, yes, but God, how do I trust you in this darkness? How do, you, how do I trust you when I don't see the path ahead? How do I trust you when I don't see what I'm supposed to do? We look at this story and we say, God showed up for Abraham. He, he didn't leave him right there. There was an end to the story where God showed himself worthy of trust. We can look at that and we say, God, God is, no matter whether I'm having tr trouble trusting him right now, 
God is still worthy of my trust because he showed up for Abraham. And you know what God gave us here? His story, he gave us the spoiler. The very, very end. I don't, I don't know what God is doing in your life right now. I don't know how dark it looks. I don't know how much you're having trouble trusting him. But I know the end of the story. And so I know he's trustworthy for everything in between. And so ever since I heard this song, I've been holding on to it. It says, I'm fighting a battle you've already won. That's what Abraham was doing. He showed up in this land and he thought he had to protect himself. He had to fight this battle. God was already there. He already ran before him. He had already won the battle. I'm fighting a battle you've already won. And I don't have it typed here, so I don't remember the rest of the chorus, but it's good. We'll, we'll worship to it in a minute. But then another part of the song says, I know how the story ends. We will be with you again. You are my savior, my defense. No more fear in life or death. Do you know that's the promise? Because we know the end of the story. The darkness, the uncertainty of circumstances or the consequences of our own sin, we can still trust God in all of that because we know how the story ends. I invite you over these moments as we sing this song to examine with the Lord what area do you need to trust him more? What area do you... And, and, like this isn't trust we muster up. God's got to do this work in us. And so all we can do is remind ourselves that he's trustworthy. Remind ourselves how the story ends and that we can trust him and we can surrender to him even in this. So Grace, would you stand to your feet? And I invite you in this moment, can we dim the lights a little bit? Worship with this song. As you pick up the words, feel free to worship out loud. And I invite God to speak to you about the areas in your life where you need to trust him more this morning. Go ahead and play the worship song.